Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners, and particularly gardeners that have discovered already the value of having camellias in their garden during winter and early spring because they just have so much wonderful colour. John Hall is our go-to person when we want to talk about camellias. John Hall is from the Newman's Nursery dynasty uh, that has got a history, a long history of uh, being involved with camellias. And John has just been appointed as patron of the Adelaide Hills Camellia Society. Good morning, John Hall. John, good morning, Deb and listeners. Lovely to have you in the studio, John, and we're going to mine all of your information, but thank you for bringing in a gorgeous platter of camellia flowers. I'll tweet a picture of that a little bit later Mm. this morning, so if you'd like to have a look, and we'll come back to what some of them are, but gorgeous colours in them. Um, And a bit later in the program, I have not... Two, but four ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away. I'm going to give away two of them via the text line, which is 0467 922891, and two of them via the phone line, which is 1300 891. But we'd like your calls now on camellias because now is the time that the colours in the garden but the flowers will fade and John and John, the two Johns, are going to tell us exactly what to do about that. Uh, but call in now if you've got a camellia question on one. 300 Later in the program, we're also going to take a quick look at citrus gall wasp and the effectiveness or otherwise of pruning the little galls off your citrus trees. That's later in the program. Right now, we take a look at camellias. We're coming to the end of winter and there's a lovely splash of colour in many gardens and uh, I suppose... Let's take a look at the effectiveness of camellias as a performer, as a winter performer. How do you uh, reckon camellias stand up to particularly cold, showery winters? John, they love this. This is their sort of day. <laughs> no, camellias uh, do thrive in in this type of weather. Um, you know, it, it does trigger their flowering response. I mean, flowers are set right back uh, during the summer, but it's now their flowering time and it's this cold weather that does help them open and open fully and uh, they love days like this, this foggy cold days. Uh, and look, they are just so spectacular at this time of the year when there's such low light conditions and the garden looks drab and without colour and there they are, camellias sitting out against these beautiful rich green leaves uh, just glowing almost in the dark. Many people many years ago had big gardens and they had lovely displays of camellias in gardens. The trend now is to smaller gardens and people wanting to grow plants in containers. Mm. How effective are camellias in providing that splash of colour in a container? Yes, yes, sadly, gardening space is just diminishing very rapidly. Uh, And look, the camellia is just the ideal plant for this situation. They're a very long-lived, durable plant. Uh, I almost call them set-and-forget plants. Once you've got the conditions that suit them, they just look after themselves with just a minimum amount of fuss. And in pots, I'll give you many, many years of uh, really good performance. Would you care to nominate two or three favourites, maybe, that are suitable for 
containers, oh. but also will give you that colour through that late winter period. Yeah, look, you know, you'd have to pick a colour for me to, to single them out, but say um, we talked about Brushfields Yellow earlier, um, that's a creamy white, uh, has the most glorious growth habit, just a very compact bushy growth and the flowers sit out and look at you rather than hang down which often is the case with the heavier flowers um, so that's an outstanding performer um, I showed you one on the collection I brought in uh, of Brushfield's Bow now this is a new introduction and it is a mutation off of Brushfield's Yellow and it's taken all the qualities of Brushfield's Yellow but is a white splash pink and red and it's just such a stunning uh, uh, flower and it's got almost an apricot hue in the center because the the yellow uh, or creaminess of brushful jellies comes through the stamens could you um, comment on on the size of of those kind of plants and and what kind of a size of a camellia should you select for a container yeah look it's important when you're selecting a, a plant for a camellia for a container that you don't buy this tinsy little mm. camellia and a great big wine barrel that is not a good combination look you know size the plant pretty much to the size of the pot with scope for it to grow uh, and look for the compact varieties and that's why I target Brushfield Yellow. It's a compact smaller grower. These tall rank growers, I mean I've got Debbie there which is a great big you know almost tree-like camellia and whilst you can grow it in a pot it just won't give you the performance and won't keep the compact nature you're looking for for a, a pot plant. Perhaps the name of one more or two more uh Say, a red camellia, suitable for a container. Red camellia, I, I can't go past a favourite of mine, which uh, we also introduced, called Roger Hall, named <laughs> after my father. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to suggest that one. Yeah. I think you uh, led me into that one. Uh, but yeah, look, it's got the growth habit we're talking about, and it just covers with flower. Again, not a massive flower, doesn't hang, sits out beautifully. But it's a little formal flower, isn't it? Just, just, semi-formal. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, no, perfect formal double, yes. that's that row upon row of petals in the little bud centre doesn't expose any stamens. Um, so, yeah, it's just the most classic, almost water lily-like uh, flower. And it smothers itself with flowers. My word. Yeah, very free-flowering. Now, we're very proud of that. And, uh, yeah, the fact that it's now grown throughout the world, we, we feel rather chuffed. Yes, there's some lovely varieties that have come through from Newman's Nursery and uh, the Hall family. Mm. And uh, I can remember Just Sue. I has a, a lovely version of the Just Sue, but yeah. that's a, a big plant for a, a big garden. That's right, yes. It's a sport off of the Lady Lock. Margaret Davis type yeah um, another one for a pot is well worth considering too and that's a, another South Australian introduction we didn't in introduce it but that's called Magnolia Blush and it's a seedling from Magnolia Flora which is a, just a very blush pink this one has blush pink and then flushes to a deeper pink on the edge that, yeah, that, that, that really is quite stunning as you say is. it's a light pink but it's got uh, as you say get towards the centre and it goes white uh, but yes. uh, beautiful and, and it's compact nature it, it actually grows about half the rate of a Magnolia Flora it makes this knobby little compact bush which makes it so ideal for pot culture. We're talking with John Hall, who's authority on growing camellias and breeding and, and displaying camellias and judging camellias at the show and so many uh, other factors. 
And I wouldn't mind talking to John about the Camellia Societies if we have time, but uh, we certainly like to get questions coming in. Yeah, we would. If you have got a Camellia question, call in now, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Margaret Ann has done just that from Mile End. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I have a Camellia. It's a, um, I'm just looking at it, it's a Japonica and it's called a Grace Owl Britain and it's in a large pot. I'd say the pot's probably almost 60 centimetres, di- I don't know, 50 centimetres in diameter mm-hmm. and it's a lovely healthy plant and uh, lots of flower buds and last year the same thing happened. Um, so this year I've only had one flower actually open Mm-hmm. And uh, last year the same thing happened, but someone said it was a bad year for camellia, so I took it at that. But I don't know whether it's getting enough sun. It gets morning sun. Okay. Uh, it gets a bit tricky. Yeah, well, there's a, yeah anyway, <laughs> what right. shall I do? Look, uh, there's a couple of factors here. Firstly, Grace All Britain is a late variety, flowers late in the season, so it's, it's surprising you've even had a flower out this early. Um, okay, good. And, and it's a beautiful little formal double. We call it a miniature to boutonniere style camellia, white flushing pink towards the petal tips. Um, sets a lot of flower buds, but can fail to open all of them because as the season progresses, the plant starts preparing for spring and starts its spring growth. And it's a, it's a, a South Australian thing, unfortunately. Our, our warmth comes on a little early and it starts taking the energy out of the flower buds to prepare for making spring growth and the flowers just fail to get the resources needed to open. So that that's what's taking place. Um, if you can remove some of the, the smaller buds and foster the, the larger, more predominant buds, you might find you'll get those to open the plant or put the energy into those and um, you might improve your flowering. But it is one that like well, we still sell because it, it's a beautiful camellia, but uh, unfortunately it does have this problem. Margaret Ann, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Bernice is called from Victoria. <laughs> Hello, Bernice. Oh, hi. How are you going? Um, I'm actually near Port Augusta, so I thought um, I would call in as I'm listening to the program. Um, I live in Victoria in the Dandenongs, and I've got um, at least 20 or 30 camellias. They were given to me by a man who um, ran a nursery um, <laughs> back 20 years or more back and uh, they're all very tall they're as high as a house now these communities and um, I um, I was wondering whether I could cut them down to sort of form a bit of a hedge you know like not get rid of them but to sort of take it the top third off a lot of the flowers are towards the top of the yeah, well, um, tree this is quite a common problem with camellias, especially where they've grown in the shade. They tend to grow towards the light and grow up. Um, in your collection of camellias, Bernice, I hope you have a variety <laughs> called Bernice Beauty, which is a fabulous camellia. But, uh, no, you I haven't? Don't. I didn't know there was one. That's there funny. is. There's one called Bernice Beauty and Bernice Perfection, uh, two older varieties. Ah. So okay. look, look out for those. They're not growing much anymore, but somebody over there yeah. would definitely have them. Now, coming back yeah. to your problem, um, camellias don't mind being pruned, pruned harshly if need be. Uh, timing is everything, though. If you were to do it in March, April, May, you're going to probably set them right back. So leave your pruning to about um, third week in August 
to anywhere okay. up until October, and you can cut yeah. them off a, a metre from the ground, and it wouldn't oh, do any right. harm. Yeah, you, oh, you literally wow. can be that hard. They'll shoot away like it was a gum tree. And oh, then okay. you'd need to retrain them, of course. Train them as, as you get lots and lots of sucky type growth. Yeah. How do you sort that out? That's right. You need to do some thinning out because that congestion of growth will choke itself eventually and it'll start shedding leaves. So when it's made that recovery, you start thinning out. So you just foster the, the, the stronger branches, stronger growths, the ones that are desirable to keep and just declutter. There you oh, go, wow. Bernice. You'll have to get yourself oh, wow. some uh, Bernice beauty and some Bernice perfection as well. I, I definitely will. I didn't <laughs> realise, and it's such a, an old name I've got, I think, that, um, you know, it doesn't turn up too often, so that's amazing. <laughs> Thank, thanks for the call. I have to get myself some Debbie because uh, on the name thing, I'll have to get along to that. Uh, John Hall is our special guest on Camellias. We'll come to more of your calls in a moment. Call in on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Is that Debbie? That is Debbie. I like that colour. <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the flower right now. That's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. We're talking about Camellias with John Hall and I want to take a look at what happens once the flowers have faded. Brilliant at the moment and they are just uh, very warming in the uh, courtyard but the flowers fade and could you just describe what happens immediately behind the flower? There's a little bud there mm. and, and just take us through uh, the flowers are faded into how it sets itself up to produce flowers for the following season. Right. So look, we've gone through winter and we've we've enjoyed the colour and the performance of the camellia. As you say, the flowers fade, they are finishing flowering as we get into sort of late August and early September and the plant starts preparing for making spring growth. And these will be elongated growth buds behind the flower. So they're what you want to look after. Um, but in some cases, like Bernice's case, they've grown open or tall. You do need to do a little bit of pruning. So when you prune a camellia, your timing is important, as I said earlier. Um, prune um, as the at the end of flowering and the onset of new growth, and that's your spring timing. And look to prune back to an opportunity for the plant to grow away from. If you just cut back to a leaf but it doesn't have a predominant growth shoot to it, that will just sit there for another 12 months to develop that growth shoot. So always cut back the stem to a predominant or active growth shoot and they'll usually be oh, three or four centimetres long, if you millimetres long rather. Take a look at the flower and, and right behind the flower there's often a little bud. Yes. Um, should you just take off, uh, pull the flower off and, and let that bud grow or exactly. should you actually uh, trim it back a little bit harder? Look, it depends on what the plant's doing but we're talking about is that elongated growth shoot and if that's on a stem that can be retained... Um, leave that to shoot away but we look down the stem for other growth shoots that we can cut and find an opportunity and by doing that we're actually compounding the bushiness of the plant and we take away those long willowy growths that tend to hang the flowers and make them sturdier and stockier and produce more of them and that will produce more flower for next year. We're talking with John Hall, Camellia Authority and I'd like to continue our discussion on pruning. Yes, John has got a lot of questions, I know, because we've spoken this week about camellias and a lot are coming through on the phone line as well. We will get to all of those in the next 10 or 15 minutes. 
Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And our special guest in the studio is Camellia Authority Judge and now patron of the Adelaide Hills Camellia Society, John Hall. And John uh, Lamb, you've been talking about what happens when the flowers fade because what you really want to do, don't you, is have a great season next year. Set the flowers up or set the plants up so that they do flower and flower prolifically next season. So uh, we've got little buds behind the where the flower was and we can cut back to those but see people have got the, a, a plant in a container and it's been growing vigorously um, how would you go about pruning that? How much would you take off? Would you just trim or prune hard? And when would you actually carry out that operation? Yeah, in late August, any time through September into October, um, the, the earlier the better, but don't start quite yet. It, it's just that bit early. And you'll be cutting flower heads off, which you don't want to be doing. Um, but... You can retain the plant at the given size that it is. It reaches the size you want it to be and you keep trimming back to that. But I do urge people to thin out the plant a little bit because if you continually take off the top, they become a thicket and there's an opportunity for disease to develop. Cut out your weak, your spindly wood, the wood that's not going to be productive with flowers and foster the branches that are growing vigorously and by pruning those back you create a, a branching system which gives you lots of opportunity for flowers to be produced for next year. I'd like to talk repotting but I'm also very conscious Deb, that uh, <laughs> the questions are coming in. We have got a lot of questions. We might have to do this John Hall speed dating style sure, uh, because we've got a lot of people to talk to but let's start with Heather in Marion. Good morning Heather. Good morning. Um, John, I have a, a camellia called Volunteer. Um, mm -hmm. It's a year old. It's growing beautifully. I had so many flowers, flower buds that I had to take some off so that it, I would get the flowers. What I want to know is um, it's in a pot now. Um, does it? Would it be all right for it to stay in a pot for its life? It will. It's a lovely growth habit. It is really upright, and you will need to do a bit of pruning to, to bush it up. But, yes, it can go many, many years in the pot, but please don't leave it there for 10 years without repotting. About every three to five years, uh, repot into a slightly larger pot or back into the same pot if it's in a big pot. Okay, thank you, Heather. Sandy is in Littlehampton. You've got yellowy camellias, Sandy. Yes, hi, hi, John. Thank you so very much. I appreciate both uh, all the help that you people give. I'm outside looking at my lovely camellia right now. It's the Marguerite Hurtgrick camellia. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's still pushing through, but the leaves over the last couple of years have started to... Um, you know, they're green, but there's a yellowy tint in them and almost as if there's a bit of a rust in them now and, you know, they die off and drop off and then, you know, she pushes through and the flowers are only just starting to flower, being little Hampton, um, our, my flowers just come through, start to come through now. Yep. And so, yeah, is there something... Um, OK, you know, Sandy, look, Margaret Hertridge is a lovely white camellia. It does carry a lighter coloured leaf at the best of times, but are the leaves yellowing on the ends of the branches or further down within the bush? 
Is it general no, all over? All over. Okay. All over, yeah, it's likely to be a, a nutrient problem, or if you're growing it in a lot of light, which, you know, Little Hampton is a great area to grow camellias. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if it's growing a lot of light, that might be bringing back lighter leaves. But look, um, I'm concerned more about the dustiness appearance you mentioned about the leaf. Take a leaf to a garden centre and get it identified. It's possibly got a very fine mite on it, the leaf. It's called tea mite. It's specific to camellias. And, yes, you might need to give it a spray with white oil. Or at this time of the year, a good spray with white oil will help and then feed it up with your camellia fertiliser going into spring. Thank you, Sandy. Joy in Glenside, what's your question for John Hall? Um, my question is, <clears throat> sorry, is it uh, beneficial, is it true or false that uh, cutting up your banana peels, dig them in and into the soil around the camellias? My aunt used to do it many years ago and I've been doing it for the last two or three years. I can't see there any harm in that. I, I would rather let them break down a little bit before I incorporate into the soil around a camellia. But uh, no, look, you know, bananas uh, rot down very quickly and I think that's not going to do any harm at all, Joy. There you go, Joy. Good work. Joan is in Stirling. Good morning, Joan. Good morning. And good morning, John and John. Um, I have a camellia that's growing in the ground. It's about a metre and a half high and wide. looks very healthy. The variety is... Now, I'm not very good with this, but, John, you should know it. Donna Maria Herzog? No, it's Donna Herzilla de Freites Magelhays. I don't know why I have a problem with that. And don't ask me to smell it. <laughs> it's an old Portuguese variety that takes on a magenta bluey it tinge. Does. Yep. It does. First few years it was pink, but now it's the right colour. Oh, but wonderful. some of the flowers go brown, you know, well before they've, they've yeah, finished. Yeah, they, they are a very complex flower that does tend to suffer a bit of bud balling. Um, just try not to let it overset flower buds, thin them out, uh, taking a variety of size buds, you'll improve your opening rate there. Uh, you're in the perfect area to get the, the really magentary blue colour up there. Uh, on the plains we only get pink, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, look, um, you will get a little bit of, we call it bud balling and it's something that uh, that more complex flower suffers from. John, can I ask you to mention that name again? Donna Hutzilla de Freites Magelhays. <laughs> okay, if you can listen back and say that phonetically, <laughs> if you'd like to buy one. Joan, thank you for uh, you know bringing that one to our attention. We'll take one more call now for John Hall on Camellias and that's from Pamela in Wyala. Good morning, Pamela. Good morning. Um, yes, John, I just want a quick question about I have some camellias that are um, 20 years old, perhaps older than that. And um, I just want to know I've got some of the uh, branches come out and then they die off. They almost go crunchy. Right. And for about maybe four or five inches. And then I just sort of take, break it off. Okay. Now, this branch retains its leaves or the leaves drop off? Uh, the leaves will drop off eventually, but they'll actually retain. There's some that are retained that I've okay. seen and I've had to go cut out, and it's actually dry. Yep. No, when, when a camellia shows these symptoms, it's more likely than not that it's got a, 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 a colorot disease called glomerella, um, and it's quite specific to camellias, and it actually ring barks the, the branch, and the, the symptom is, is the leaves retain on the It's been ring barked, and still some communication with the 
the plant, the leaves just hang there, dehydrate, eventually fall off and that branch is effectively dead from the time the leaves start losing colour. Um, not a great deal you can do about it, Pamela. Uh, you're in a challenging area for comedians and I'm thrilled to hear that you're doing so well with them but uh, yeah not any treatment other than prune that away with nice clean secateurs and don't go from one plant to another. We often talk to John Hall about fertilising camellias, but the focus very much over the last 12 months or so has been on soil health. And we take a look, is there a catch-22 in the fact that uh, people want to improve their soil health, so they start putting things into the soil to improve the soil, but then if they get the too much fertiliser, probably because the plants grow so slowly they can't make use of it. Uh, what's the best way of addressing the soil health problem? Right and, and look you touch on a very important point I mean most comedians I see fail because of too much fertiliser, too much water so fertiliser just continually being applied to the soil is not beneficial um, they're not gross feeders in that sense but there are lots of preparations these days that help soil health. Now we're using a lot of organic matter in the soils that we grow camellias in and a lot of these new preparations and they're not that new but things we're calling now probiotics some of the seaweed preparations and things that carry microorganisms that help break down that organic matter which in turn converts that to nutrients the plants use so there, there's some really good products out there when they first came about i thought this is another horticultural gimmick out there to flog to the customer but um, these are the full quid there are some very good probiotics there's been some very good research done in this state i think this state leads the way in that area and and they are beneficial um you know the the things that have got microorganisms in there that activate soil to do what they're supposed to do. So look after the soil, and the soil will then look after the camellia. Correct. Yeah. Well, another issue that I would like to look at very quickly is balling, and that's where people have got lovely plants, lots of buds, but the buds don't open. Yeah. And there's no single clear-cut reason for this. Um, one, it's variety, like I was saying about the Donahitzilla depredes. It's a complex flower. These very full, uh, like the the volunteer we're talking about, very complex. It's very hard for the plant to unfurl that sometimes. Some camellias open without any problem. Volunteer seems to open without little, very little problem. But they are the ones that are more prone, but their uh, oversetting of flower buds will uh, exacerbate the problem. And if the plant is catching a lot of light, we'll have a, a period through winter that we have very clear days and almost drying conditions, lots of sun, and we get this rash of phone calls about bud balling because yeah. the outer calyx of the bud gets damaged and that stops it from opening and it's forcing from the inside and you'll find the plant, it'll actually crack away from the base of the flower and the flower falls off or it'll just sit there looking like it should be opening but it's no longer getting a supply from the plant and that's... That's in essence what's happening to the plant. The fact that we get so many questions when you arrive is, uh, I think, uh, uh, commends you for the authority and, and the information that you've got. And you've just been uh, appointed as patron for the Adelaide Hills uh, Camellia Society. And I believe that's the last of the Camellia Societies. Yes, it's the only one in Adelaide now, very sadly. Um, and look, I, I'm absolutely thrilled. I, I feel very privileged to be honoured. Uh, I was... Uh, 
patron of the Adelaide Plains branch of the Hill so- uh, of the Camellia Society. But no, look, they, they're a very active group. Um, they uh, uh, hold their meetings at Stangate House um, at Allgate, and they, and along with a lot of volunteers, maintain the Stangate uh, Camellia Garden, which is a, a an internationally. Re- um, um, a recognised uh, garden of excellence. It's, it's a, a status they've achieved, an international garden of excellence, and they have to achieve that every five years. So, so being involved with Stangate would be brilliant, and presumably they have monthly meetings? They have monthly meetings at 7.30 on a Friday evening, uh, the third Friday of the month from March through to September. And so there's only a couple of more meetings coming up, but they've got a great one coming up next week or so. Uh, there's going to be a grafting demonstration, which I think will be enthralling for those that are interested in playing around with producing more camellias. A quick comment from left field. White snails. Do you have white snails in your nursery? And do you have uh, a problem in your area, the, the base of the hills, with white snails? Well, sadly, I have to announce I do. Uh, not so much at the nursery, to be to be honest, it's um, my little farm up the road. I, I, I grow a lot of veggies and things, and uh, and yeah, I've, I've seen a great build-up, well, not great, a, a horrible build-up of late. Um, and yeah, I just don't know what the answer to it is, but yeah, they they are there and present in the Adelaide Hills. Do you know where they came from? I'm pretty certain I know. And uh, yeah, look, pea straw has been the culprit, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, um, yeah, they've only arrived since um, I've been using those about the last five years, and yeah, I'm seeing a, a definite sure. presence. <clears throat> and pea straw is brilliant as a mulch. And it is needed. Mulch is needed, but there are pea straw suppliers that can supply pea straw without the white snails. And that's our quest over the next <laughs> few weeks to Good try luck. Yes. <laughs> John's new campaign. John Hall, just really quickly, once again, speed dating like, can camellias grow in coastal areas? Yes, they can, but pick the variety. Be careful with the variety you pick. Any recommended one? Yeah, Great Eastern Emperor of Russia, the Tsar, um, Lady Locke, uh, Magnolia Blush, uh, Brushfield Jello. Yeah, all of those types. William Bull. Okay, best time to plant? Now. Okay, there you <laughs> Up go. Up until the end of October. <laughs> and uh, Wendy wants to know, can I grow camellias in Glenside facing east? Yes, ideal. ideal. Avoid south, uh, west and north. Wonderful. And just finally, Jackie at West Croydon has been turned on, says, I'm just viewing all of the camellias online and swooning at the colours and varieties. They are stunning. <laughs> yep. A convert there. Thanks, Jackie. John, it's been a very interesting and information-packed morning. John Hall, he has been so generous with his time uh, for so many years, and I look forward to continuing that discussion. I suspect you might continue longer than I do, John. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I appreciate you coming well, into well, the thank studio. Thank you for thank having you. me along and talking about my favourite subject. It's wonderful. We love it. Thank Thanks you. so much, John, and nothing better than two Johns for the price of one in the studio this morning. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. John Hall, uh, Camellia Authority and newly appointed patron of the Camellia Society of the Adelaide Hills. We're returning to general talk back gardening questions next, so please call in on 1300 891. Talk back gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia, and Broken Hill. 
Now, there are people asking us to repeat the names of the camellias that John just went through, but the easy thing to do is just to listen back to the podcast. Download the ABC Listen app and you'll find Talk Back Gardening on there. But if you'd like to know today, you can go online to abc.net.au forward slash Adelaide and look under the weekends program uh, for Saturday and you can actually listen back today if you'd like to. We can also put in a short list in next week's Good Gardening. Uh, I think over about 40 years of providing advertisers, I once a year would write a story on camellias and I have so many John Hall camellia lists so we'll pick out a list of uh, some of the ones that maybe he's mentioned and uh, suitable for containers in particular. Wonderful so stay tuned for that if you haven't subscribed just type in John Lamb J-O-N-L-A-M-B Good Gardening into your search engine and subscribed and that email will arrive to you Every Friday morning, as it does to me and many of you I know. Sue is in Henley Beach. Now, Sue, you've got a daily question for John. I do. Good morning. It's a tree dahlia. Oh, dahlia lovely. or dahlia? I'm never quite sure. Dahlia, I yeah. say that too, Sue. I got told it's it's dahlia, it, isn't it? It's definitely dahlia. dahlia. My secretary for many, many years was dahlia. So <laughs> she <laughs> used to get very cross if people spelled it incorrectly. Anyway, continue there, sir. Look, it, it flowered um, prolifically. It was beautiful, but it only flowered once. Um, and now it's looking a bit sad. And I know you meant to cut them down or something, but I don't know more than that or when you have to do it. So I guess my question's got two parts. Is there any way I can make it flower more than once? Because my bees loved it and it's beautiful. And the other is what do I do now? Sadly to the question, does it flower more than once in a growing season? No, it's perennial, so it grows, it produces buds, it flowers, it then dies down. And it's what to do then to make sure you get a magnificent display for next year. Many people tend to ignore them and say, well, look after yourself because they grow so vigorously. Um, If you've still got reasonable growth, although it's pretty late in the season, uh, it's important as they're starting to uh, bud up to uh, provide some good organic fertiliser and and make sure that you've got good nutrition there because uh, once they've finished flowering, they're also storing energy for next year. Um, So you want to uh, save them or do you want to sort of propagate more or just uh, save that particular plant? Save that plant, or I might propagate one more, but I know how to do that because that's how I grew this one. (laughs) But I just somebody told me that you should cut them off every year right down to the ground. Absolutely, I yeah. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, no. Okay. Well, the thing is, if you cut it back to, say, a half a metre, then you'll get new growth, but it'll be, uh, uh, the new growth will come a, a half a metre high, uh, and then uh, it'll have strong stems, and those, st- uh, they'll grow, uh, they'll elongate, and then the first very, very windy day, they'll snap off. So, <laughs> chop them off at ground level, because mm-hmm. uh, it will send out new growth from the crown, or the, the, the rise own system uh, just beneath, beneath the soil and ideally uh, you will probably only need uh, two or three stems and if it's got more than that reduce them down to about three stems and what I would be suggesting is uh, it, it'll come into new growth uh, as the, we get into September, October and probably by about November you may have a metre's growth on the stems that you've got I'd be cutting those back by about 20 or 30%. So what you're doing is producing more stems 
and at that stage you end up with maybe instead of uh, uh, three or four you end up with five or six sturdy stems which will produce they'll grow maybe two or three meters high and in autumn produce the most magnificent dahlia display that you can imagine Mm. So should I cut them back now? Is now the right time to do that? Uh, is there any leaves left? Uh, yes, yes. I'm reasonably near the beach, so a lot of things that are meant to lose Still their growing, leaves actually yep. if never do. Sure, if there's any growth there. But I think, I mean, here it is. It, it's it's end of July. The growing season uh, that we've just come through has come to an end. The plant is setting itself up for the following season. I would be cutting them back at ground level as soon as you like. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling in, Sue. Uh, let's go to West Croydon <laughs> now. Malcolm, you would like to graft a fig tree. Yes, good morning, uh, John, Deb. I'm doing whip and tongue graft on a fig tree and I can make it quite a good graft. My questions are, is it detrimental to cut the tip off the cyan or work from that down or doesn't it matter? and the best time to do it is it now or wait a couple of weeks i'd be waiting a little while what you want is a little bit of activity if you do the grafting now there'll be uh, uh, the, the sign that you put on will just sit there and got a potential for drying out before you get sap flow to sort of stimulate it into new growth so um, wait probably until we get into september and you can see that there is new growth appearing uh, on your original fig tree that means that the roots are stirring and the roots are starting to pump up uh, sap into this into the area where you're going to insert the sign um, as for the signs you need to take them uh, while they're dormant and probably i would be uh, getting them a little bit longer than what you need uh, wrapping them up in just moist only just moist newspaper and then uh, putting them in the fridge and just holding them in the fridge so that they don't start to grow prematurely if we do get a little bit of warmth. And uh, as for taking the tip off, no, you, you need probably a, a, a bud close to the base uh, of where it's, the sign's going to go into the rootstock, and you'll also need a bud uh, at the top area where you're going to get new growth, but you don't want any tip growth there at all. It's too weak uh, to generate decent kind of growth. Okay, very good. Thanks, Malcolm, for calling in. Uh, good luck with it. Grant's in Hindmarsh Island. Now, you've got a red flowering gum and it's being attacked by something, Grant. Good morning, guys. Yes, I have. Uh, they are approximately 12 months old and I bought them as one-metre trees. And I have two of them probably at least 100 metres apart and they are being eaten. Oh, so by, by what? <laughs> Well, a, a bug, I assume. I have sprayed them with, I think, carbaryl is the way you would pronounce it. Yes. Um, didn't seem to make any difference. Is it something that needs to be sprayed regularly or is there something else I should be doing? It's only eating the leaves. And so you've got a metre tall plant and it's got it's, healthy leaves on it or are they looking scungy? Uh, they are looking a bit dry and eaten in spots. One yeah. tree, for whatever reason, appears to be better than the other. So is it the tip growth, the relatively new growth that's being eaten, or are they also eating the older leaves? Predominantly the older leaves. That's fascinating. And so they're taking pieces out of the side, or are they starting at the tip and coming in that area? 
I'd say they are starting at the tip at and the down tip. the sides a bit. And okay. they're eating something about the size of your small fingernail. Right. And is it like sort of little clicks, a little like a ticket a machine that click takes little sort of square pieces out, or or is it a nice smooth area that's been eaten? I would say it's. I'm just walking down to have a look at them now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I'd say it's it's a smooth area, but you can still see the uh, the leftovers of the the leaf once they've All right. chomped no, it the, out. Just the the. the, the it's the mouthpiece of whatever is eating. It's either a caterpillar or a weevil, uh, broadly uh, a variation of a caterpillar, which is likely to cause uh, smooth edging. It could be snails and slugs also can cause that problem, um, but usually not a, that high on a tree. And if it was sort of uh, little square, t- chunky pieces taken out, it's more likely to be a weevil. Um, but... Um, uh, it, I think it's tr- important to try and identify exactly what it is. I'd be happier if you could take some leaves to a garden centre and they can sort of say, oh, no, that's a, a caterpillar damage or this is a weevil damage. Um, if it's uh, the, the chemical you use, uh, carbaryl is old-fashioned and it's very, very toxic. There are better chemicals and far less uh, uh, toxic to you or the environment. Success would be the chemical that I'd be seduce- using and uh, I'd be putting on a spray now and then uh, if you see that there's further damage happening early in springtime, putting on a second spray with that. Uh, with weevils, uh, if, if they say it's a weevil problem, it would be important, I think, to spray the soil beneath the canopy of the tree. Uh, it, little weavers, weevils often sort of hide in the soil, in the litter there. And that may be a problem. So I would say take up John's advice and take that one in and just find out which it is, Grant, and I hope it goes well for you. Rebecca's in Fullerton, and your native hibiscus is in a bit of trouble, Rebecca. Hi, Deb. Yes. Hi, John. Uh, It's a native hibiscus about three metres tall in a slightly raised garden bed on the southern edge of my property. Uh, I have three others in the same bed, uh, that are all doing fine, but this one uh, is uh, dying off at the top. The touch wood, the lower um, canopy is still looking okay, but I am worried about what I might need to be doing. All right. Does it look like it could be frost damage? Well, I just thought that being so high, it wouldn't be frost damage. Uh, well, it depends. <coughs> uh, if you're on a slope, sometimes you get a uh, uh, little waves of uh, very cold air and, and instead of getting at ground level it's it's up about a meter or so but uh, um, no I mean frost damage is frost damage is very very cold temperatures on new tip growth you'll find that that will uh, it'll go brown very very quickly oh okay uh, so um, up high is can still be susceptible. Well, can be, and it's just cold temperatures and, and very, very strong winds can also cause that chilling effect, and that may be the problem. Uh, the nice thing is they are very, very uh, robust, uh, they are very forgiving, and I would suggest that in springtime, when you can see that there's a nice, strong new growth, cut it back to uh, uh, shape it up a little bit, and I think the problem should disappear. And that was my query. Do I cut the 
dead bits off at the top now, or no, do I leave no, le- them? Le- as leave alone, protection? even though it looks a bit uh, awful. Uh, wait until you can see that there's new uh, side growth. The new branch, uh, side branches are starting to elongate, uh, and the buds are starting to burst open. That's the, the uh, probably the best time. Just be careful; uh, they are very susceptible to wet feet, even though it's growing in a raised garden bed. Make sure that you don't have a, a downpipe or something like that running water around oh, the root okay. system. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rebecca, for calling in. Alison's in Greenacres with an apple tree question. Welcome, Alison. Thank you, Deb. Hi, John. Um, hi, Deb. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of dwarf apple trees that have been in a pot, um, and I've also got a quince that I'm now hoping to plant in the ground. And I'm just wondering if they're too old to be espaliered. If I cut them back too far, will they recover or... Um, do I have to leave them to grow as they will? Oh, now? Never, never too old, so long as there's okay, growth. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's the uh, motivation is is it growing if it's not growing don't do the uh, um, espaliering until you can actually stimulate the plant and that means a bit of soil health looking after the soil and so long as you've got uh, good healthy soil you've got uh, new growth appearing on the tree or the trees then you can reshape it and, and make the branches grow whatever direction you want with within Fantastic. reason. I've got a um, a quince that's quite tall as well, and it doesn't really have very many um, branches at the moment. It's just a um, quite a long trunk. Will that still be all right as well to oh, cut to cut back? I would cut it back very hard. If say it's got yep. a, a big long trunk, what what you need to do is cut it back probably by fifty, sixty percent, even more. Cut it back mm-hmm. so that it uh, maybe you're cutting off the trunk at thirty centimeters high. It will then produce. Yep very strong new growth and so long as you get two strong growths one to the left one to the right you you tie them down horizontally once they're sort of start elongated 30 or 40 centimeters long tie them down almost horizontally and that starts you on uh, starts you on your your uh, uh, espalier Thank you so much, John. That's fantastic. Great. Thanks, Alison. Enjoy espaliering your plants there. Sounds wonderful. I'd better give away some ABC Gardening Australia magazines. If you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you would like to win a magazine, I'll give two away on the call line, one 891 And I'll give you a couple of minutes to send your text through. We need your full name and address to send them in a couple of minutes on the text line our giveaway to there 0467 922 This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide South Australia and Broken Hill Thank you for your text messages, a lot of them coming in. Uh, This person says, in relation to what's possibly eating a caller's gum tree, it could be a curculio beetle type of weevil, as suggested by John. Need to go out at night with a torch, and in our experience, success ultra works, says that person. And coming back to camellias, Jennifer says, I have a sister, Susan. My name is Jennifer. So when I saw a camellia called Jennifer Susan, (laughs) I knew I had to get one for each of us. Thanks for highlighting beautiful camellias today. Thank you very much for those texts. Uh, on the phone line, congratulations to Wendy in Blakeview and Doug in Port Hughes who have called through. You have got the 
ABC Gardening Australia magazines by phone and we'll pick a couple at random from the text line in just a moment. But John, citrus gall wasp, now's the time to get out and have a look. Yes, it's still a problem in your garden. If you've got citrus trees, have you had a good look? Now is the ideal time to look for citrus gall wasp. Citrus gall wasp, what is it? It's those... Ugly, oh, not ugly, they could be beautiful in some people's <laughs> eyes. Yes, I think Chris Messenger, our bug person, would love them. Little uh, light brown cylinders, and you'll find them on the newest growth, the growth that's uh, produced over the last 12 to 18 months, and you'll see these little swollen cylinder galls. They've been caused by a little wasp, and the wasp only comes out in October it lays eggs into the new branch, the soft new branches, and the branch uh, tries to sort of get rid of them by forming that little gall. But, so, now is the time to have a look and see whether you've still got a problem. If you look at the tree and you've got old galls on old branches, and in particular, if there are little holes in there, do nothing because the wasps have come and gone. No point in chopping those off. And that comes down to, is pruning an effective way of controlling citrus gall wasps? In theory, it should, because if you think about it, the entire population of citrus gall wasps are inside those galls. If you chop off all the galls, you've got rid of the entire population of citrus gall wasp, and they only have one cycle for the year. Now, the downside, of course, is if you've got a small tree and it's got lots of galls on it, if you prune them all off, you don't have much of a tree left. Or you've also, maybe you've got a very, very large old tree and it's just plastered with galls and uh, trying to get all of them is almost impossible. And you do the Ian Tolly trick and you, you chop your tree back and start it all over again, I think. But for a medium-sized tree, particularly in a container, if it's only got a few galls on it, uh, pruning is very effective and now is the time to do it pruning earlier would have allowed new growth to uh, produce and and you'd find that uh, when the galls uh, come out and and start looking for new sites to lay eggs that soft growth will be ideal for it so now is the time to prune because if you prune now the new growth won't have time to form to be in a stage where it can be attacked by the citrus gall wasp so prune if you have to and it's very very effective but it's not the solution for every tree and there are better solutions and either you can use a glue or kale and clay you do that in springtime and we'll talk more about that at the appropriate time. Thank you very much for that, John. Judy on the text line says, I'm <coughs> listening to you every week. I have little white snails, but I never use pea straw. That's interesting. Sorry, Amanda in Flagstaff Hill and Remy in Woodville North have one on the text line. So wonder Judy might be getting them. I don't know where you live, Judy, but if she abuts some agricultural land it's possible john it is interesting and the survey we carried out indicated we obviously didn't ask enough questions because we said uh, it could have come in on pea straw or could it have come on on pot plants or uh, maybe on somebody's vehicle and then there was just other and about 30 percent said other and i don't know what the other could be so <laughs> we might have to do some more investigation as to how they're coming into people's gardens but more pea digging st- down then john in the survey Oh, yes. Something to do. (laughs) Yes, well, you've got a lot to do. And thank you to Maha on the text line. says, we'll be moving soon to our new home with a 90 to 100 metre square backyard with a gradient. I wish to incorporate many gardening ideas from your program. How long will the podcast be available online? 
I think they're just there forever, don't oh, they? Just yes. sit well, there. Yeah, I've got about two years' supply, maybe three years' supply on it, because it, it's often very nice to go back, say, three years ago when I had a particular guest talking about a particular issue, and I bone myself up on <laughs> what they said then, uh, simply because it's good information, too good to go to waste. Yes, exactly. You, you've done the work first time around. Why do it again? Uh, well, John, what are you going to be doing in the garden today? I mean, we are expecting a sunny day. Looking out the window, it's still pea soup fog here in Collinswood. Wading war on weeds. If you try and get down on hands and knees and pull the weeds out, uh, the ground is so soft you can just pull them out. You don't need a weed aside at all. And uh, if you've got thistles, make sure you don't have thistles growing in your garden because uh, uh, they have aphids on them and they'll cause problems later on. So, until next week when we have a very special program on climate change with a very special guest, what to do in your garden to avoid uh, climate change in your garden this season, this summer season. Until next week, good gardening.